towards me and towards the saints in this room. Um, I pray that we can learn today from your word so we can be more faithful to you. Um, thank you for guiding me and, and studying your word and giving me the words to say. Um, I pray you continue to um, through this sermon. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now your bulletins say that I'm going to be preaching Romans 1, 1 through 17. But a really funny thing happens when you study God's Word. Um, while I was going through just 1, verses 1 through 7, I realized I had five pages of notes. So we're just going to stop at 7 today. <laughs> because I don't think you want to listen to me talk for about two hours. So if you... Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that is true. You're used to Todd, but... I'm going to still give you that that break. So if you you could turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans is written by Paul. It's a letter to Rome. Pretty simple, letter to Rome. Okay, and um, this is one of 13 letters that Paul wrote. Some of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote to individuals, and some he wrote to actual churches. And this one he's addressing to Rome. Um, which he has not been to yet. And there's a church that's already there that he didn't, he didn't have... Um, he's not the one who went and planted these churches, but he, he's heard of the good news and the gospel that's been proclaimed throughout all the known world at this time. Um, and so he's writing this letter, and, and, and just like um, was said earlier, Romans is a clear picture of the gospel, very detailed, very theological, um, if you want to study um, just the things of God, Romans is definitely a good place to be. Um, and he's doing this in order to... There's three reasons why he wrote Rome, or Romans. The first one is to convince the Roman church of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Paul had a mission in mind, and his mission was to go to Spain and to share this. And so he wanted to have Romans as a place, as an outpost, to go and have people from the Roman churches go with him and join him in this mission to go to Spain and share the gospel. He also desired for those to be encouraged and to him to be mutually encouraged. Um, And and so they would have the obedience of faith and they could be counted in with the nations um, that are crying out to God and have faith and, and live for Christ. But the third is the most important and Paul continues to say this throughout Romans. Ultimately, he wants to write this letter to glorify God, to give God glory, because without God, none of this would be accomplished. So we can learn, well, sorry, we can learn through Paul's example of writing this letter that our focus is important. And most importantly, what we're going to be focusing on today is our identity, our identity in Christ. Or, if you do not know Christ, your identity in sin. Um, and so, that's one of my biggest problems in my life. I don't think a lot of people know that and realize that, but my biggest fear, my biggest struggle is my identity. And I know that I am, I've been bought and I'm in Christ, but every day I wake up and there's a battle. And I think a lot of us have it if we think about it. Our battle is, who do we live for today? Who are we going to worry about um, when we do make a decision? Are we going to worry about what this person thinks or this person thinks? When ultimately we need to worry about what God thinks. Um, and that will embolden us in our mission. 
because ultimately when we focus on other people's response to our gospel that we share, we tend to want to water it down or to hide some of the things like God's wrath. That's a scary thing. What's interesting too is uh, last night um, he put on the Ephesus page on Facebook that I would be going into verses 18. But 18 starts with the wrath of God and that would have been interesting just to hit one verse of it. Um, But ultimately when we understand the holiness of God, we'll understand the wrath of God and we'll understand the payment of Christ. Um, And so when we focus on giving God glory in missions, we feel the need to proclaim it fully. We know that it is God who brings about salvation to sinful people, and so we tell his message fully and declare it without shame. Um, And so we're going to start, I'm just going to read through verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to break it down. It makes it easier for me when I hear a pastor do that, so that's just kind of how I've learned to do it. So if you could just follow along, Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. First off, Paul identifies himself as the author of Romans. And so it makes it really easy for us as we go in and we can say, oh, Paul wrote it. Right away he says Paul. It's just like addressing a letter today um, except it's backwards. Today we, we address who we're talking to, like dear Johnny, dear Molly, and then at the end we say love, Zach, or you know, um, sincerely. Um, but back in those times, how they wrote a letter, they would start off with who's the one writing it, and then who they're directing it to. Um, but what's interesting is, what's important to see is how Paul identifies himself. Um, first off, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. So that's a humble position. He's not, he's not coming and, and saying all that he's able to do or, or telling them all the great things he's done. He's saying, I am a servant of Christ. And what's interesting, um, I don't know if... Uh, sorry. Uh, I don't know if you all know this or not, but the, the word servant comes from the Greek word doulos. And doulos means slave, servant, or bondservant. Um, and so it's, it's, it's more than just serving someone. It's, it's actually you are saying, you are my master. And so Christ, he's, he's declaring in this that Christ is his master and I serve him obediently. And so when there's a conflict, when it's his will or God's will, he chooses God's will because he knows God knows better. We have a great master. Um, and so we can see this in, in, in other places where Paul is, is writing. Um, what's interesting is, is in 1 Corinthians, you don't have to flip there, in 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, while Paul is, is pleading with men and women to flee from sexual immorality, he gives a reason why. And he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so, before this, he says that everything else, every other sin, is a sin outside your body. It's sin to other people. Whereas sexual sin is a sin against your own flesh. Now that's one reason, but the ultimate reason it goes into that your flesh is not even your own. You've been bought with a price. You don't own yourself. You don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, how does Zach want to live his life? And then ignore the word of God. Like Paul, we need to emulate and say, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm not going to be in sexual sin because I do not own myself because Christ has paid for me with his blood. Um, and, I, and I do want you to flip to Romans 6, 20 through 23. I think this is a great verse that, again, shows us that we are not our own, but we've been bought with a price. Romans 6, 20 through 23. He's talking to Christians that are now saved and were once enslaved to sin. Starting at verse 20. For, you, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And this is a popular verse that everyone knows. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think what is shocking about this is if you read it, you're thinking, that's kind of weird how to word it. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So, when you were slaved in your sin, you didn't have to do righteous things. You were free to do whatever you wanted. But it's, it's a play on words because you're actually enslaved in sin. And we know that sin is deadly and it leads to death. So you're really not free at all. I think what's interesting is in our culture right now, we have an identity crisis. It's not just um, a moral compass problem, but it's also an identity crisis. If we're all made in the image of God, knowing who we are under God, under his submission is important for our lives, for our well-being. And right now, we have a country fighting just for everyone to make their own identity. And I think that's what is, is broken inside of me when I read this, is that people are enslaved to sin. And yes, they're free from righteousness, but that's going to lead to death. And so, we are slaves of God, and that's not something we should be ashamed of. And, and I know the, the term slave can be a negative thing. It's something that... Um, we oftentimes want to change and, or, or say, well, you, you know, you're, you're just sinning, you're just doing wrong things. But truthfully, before Christ has set us free, we are enslaved to sin. We can see this in Ephesians. There's multiple places we can see this. Okay, if you can flip back to Romans 1. The second thing he identifies himself is, he says, he's called to be an apostle. I think what's interesting about this word is um, even growing up in church, I just always used apostle and disciple as synonyms. Like you can just you know, switch them out and it wouldn't mean much difference. But actually, apostle is a, a place of authority. Um, yes, we do have authority as a disciple to say this is the word of God, but we're constantly pointing to the word of God as the ultimate authority. Whereas the apostle, it is someone who is called by God as a prophet 
to go and share and, 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 and say that this is the will of God. This is what's going to happen. And so we see that um, our, our canon, our book, is written by apostles, those men that have called out and pulled out and say, go and speak on my behalf. We have Moses in the Old Testament who was a murderer. And God forgave that and gave him grace and allowed him to go and speak on behalf of Israel and lead them ultimately to righteousness and to obeying God. Um, and then we see in the New Testament where he calls out um, his disciples and he, he follows them and teaches them for three years. And even after they go and run away astray from him, when he is resurrected, he goes to them and shows and reveals himself as the Son of God. Um, and so there's three criteria that... Um, is used when determining who is an apostle and who is a disciple. The first one is you're a disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry. The second one is the eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. And so we see that um, Matthew, Mark, you know, Luke, all these disciples and apostles are, have witnessed these. And, and number three is directly called by Jesus. And what's interesting is if you don't know the background of Paul's life, it is one that every church would want to hear give a testimony because it's so profound to see how a man who was so self-righteous was broken from his sin by encountering Christ and, and ultimately turning away from his sin. Um, and so he, didn't, he wasn't there during the disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry. He wasn't following him. He wasn't following his will. And he, he definitely... Uh, wasn't trying to do what God wanted him to do. In fact, he was persecuting the church. And on his way to persecute the church, it says, what's interesting is in Acts, it says that while he was cursing under his breath and angry, wanting to just go and throw these people that followed the way, that followed Christ, and said that Christ was resurrected, he wanted to throw them all in jail. And he thought he was right for that. Um, this is a man that knew the Old Testament better than most people do today. Um, and a great Pharisee is what he called himself. He said he was the best of all Pharisees. He, he followed the law, um, but he did not understand the grace of God, and he did not understand that the law of God was there to actually show him his sin, not to use it to make himself look better than other people. Um, but what's interesting is, while going to persecute the church, Christ meets him and blinds him with the light of his glory. And through that, Christ says, well, he asks, who are you, Lord? He knows there's something going on. And he says, it's Jesus Christ, the one whom you're persecuting. I think that's a beautiful thing to see because Christ takes it personally when you mess with his bride, just like a man would today. And so he takes it as, you're messing with me. You're persecuting me. Um, thankfully, God showed grace to Paul. Otherwise, we wouldn't have these 13 letters that are written in the New Testament. He shows grace to Paul. He, he calls him to go into the town, still blind, um, going into the town and telling him, you will know what to do when you get there. And then God calls Ananias, Ananias to go and to talk to him. And Ananias shows that he's afraid. He's like, I know what he's, what he's up to. I mean, he, he goes and persecutes Christians and 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 that's something he's terrified of. Um, and so he's he's afraid for his life. He's like, you know, maybe he could he could be lying. You know, what's going on, God? And and God's response 
is in Acts 9.15. It says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So what's wonderful is, I think what we can learn from just Saul's conversion into Paul is that we don't separate our salvation from our call to go and do missions. Those things are intertwined. Um, a Christian who does not do the will of God but claims to be a Christian is not one. He's, he's in disobedience. Um, so we'll, we'll continue onward where it says, an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promises beforehand through his prophecies in the Holy Scriptures. Um, now, if you quickly read this, you would think, well, maybe he's called to be apostle and that was promised beforehand in the Holy Scriptures, but actually he's referring to set apart for the gospel of God. So he's saying the gospel of God is promised beforehand in the prof- through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Um, I know growing up, it's easy to be in the church and separate the Old Testament and the New Testament into categories. Um, I, I'm, I'm uh, guilty of doing that many times, even today, um, where I'll say, well, the Old Testament is about this wrathful God and the law, and like he's just not happy. He's just always angry and upset. And then like in the New Testament, like he sends his son who's like gracious and just loves peace and you know doesn't want to cause any problems. And, and, and yes, that's true to a certain essence, but the truth is, is yes, there's the law in the Old Testament, there's, but there's also God's covenant grace to sinful mankind. Um, and there's grace in Jesus in the New Testament, and yes, that's very important, but there's also God's law and God's wrath. I mean, look at Revelations. There's some very, uh, very difficult passages to get through about the wrath of God. And even if you go on to... Um, Further on in, in Romans, you'll see that there is a wrath of God on those who are unrighteous and living in sin. Um, I think what's amazing is, while studying God's word, um, just looking at the very book of Genesis, there is a picture of the gospel. And it's, it's when God is actually punishing and showing wrath on, onto the snake and onto Eve and onto Adam. He also shows grace and he makes a covenant. Um, we know before the fall, Adam and Eve uh, were told not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that they could do anything else. And at that moment, they were able to not sin. Um, and so they were able to live free. They weren't like us, where we had to wake up every single day and worry that, am I going to sin today, or I know I'm going to sin today, so how am I going to repent, or am I just going to hide it? Um, back then, they were able to live freely without that fear of like having to sin. But there was one thing that God put over them to show his authority to them. And that thing, they broke. And at the time, God gave them a covenant of works, but they broke it. And so he needed to give them a covenant of grace. And a covenant is just a promise, saying, I will fulfill this. I will do this to you. It's a promise. Um, And what's interesting is right after they break the promises of God to to say, okay, you know, I'm sure... I won't eat from this tree. It's just one tree. I got all these other trees. And then, of course, they fell. Um, God punishes them. And then he says, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity 
between you and the woman, between your offspring and her off, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what's interesting, I think, is you can easily read over this and think, oh, you know, there's going to be a snake someday and some guy's going to step on it. You probably stepped on a snake before with your heel and maybe got struck by it. But this is actually like showing that Christ will be coming and smash Satan's head. And, and the anatomy between the woman and of her offspring and his offspring is, is the, those who are sons of God and those who are sons of Satan. And we see this battle every single day in the news, in our families. We see that people are against the gospel and it's offensive because it shows them their sin. And so we can see a glimpse of the gospel and, and, and we can just continue on. We can see how Noah is, is the only family that's saved through grace. And, and, and the ark is a picture of this, this covenant just being fulfilled where he could have ple- pled for other people to be saved if they just put their faith in Christ, put their faith in God. Um, and so we, we see throughout that the, the gospel is everywhere. It's in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, and, 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 and we can be affirmed of that because Romans says that it's promised before him through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. All right, the next verses, verses 3 through 4, says, Concerning whose son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This right here is the focus and the essence of the gospel being proclaimed by Paul. This is what makes the gospel the good news. Christ fulfills the requirements. He pays the penalty for our sin and is risen victoriously, sitting at the right hand of God as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus is from the Davidic line. He's from David. And this was something promised beforehand and is fulfilled in Christ. Um, while, while looking for verses, um, there was plenty of verses that show that there will be a Messiah coming, a Savior coming from the Davidic line that will come and save us from our sins. But I picked one in particular, um, and I'll let you turn to it if you want to. It's in the Old Testament, so please keep your spot in Romans. <laughs> it's Jeremiah 23, 5-6. You don't have to turn from it to it if you don't want to. But it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That is wonderful news. The Lord is our righteousness. We are unrighteous and we need a Savior and a Lord that is righteous for us. And He is our righteousness. And so we can see that Jesus has fulfilled this prophecy. But we also know, and that's a beautiful thing, that God has shown that this is the Son of God, that His payment of sin has been accepted because He has risen. Our faith rides on this fact. If Jesus isn't risen, our sins are not forgiven. If Jesus isn't risen, the gospel is a lie. 
And if Jesus isn't risen, we are still under the wrath of God and slaves to our sin. And Paul says even more so in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Jesus isn't risen, our faith is in vain and our preaching is in vain. I should just stop right here if Jesus isn't risen. I have no hope for you if Jesus isn't risen. But the glorious news is that Jesus is risen. And that rides on everything else. He's fulfilled both the Old Testament and, and the law of God. Um, and, and he's done it for us so we can have his righteousness. Continuing on, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The term obedience of faith shows that true faith comes with obedience. You can't separate the two. If you have faith in something, you're going to obey, especially if this, this person or this thing is telling you it's either life or death. If someone told you, if you don't go to the doctor tomorrow you will die. If you believe them, and you truly said that you believe them, you're going to go to the doctor. Um, so when someone claims to be a follower of Christ, they claim more than just agreeing with what he has to say. They, cl- they acknowledge that he is Lord of their life. Because what Christ said is, is that I am Lord of your life. Paul desires for Jesus' name to be proclaimed to all the nations. This again is ultimately for the glory of God. He knows there's lost everywhere. It's not just one group of people. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul is not only talking about initial saving faith with this obedience of faith, but he's also talking to those who are already believers. He's urging them to continue in their obedience to God and to his word. And Paul's apostleship is through grace. He knows his position is not given to him because of merit and how he's earned it. He knows it's only for grace. Because ultimately, he persecuted Christ. And when we sin, we persecute Christ. We, we sin against God. He takes it personally. And we are included in this fact because it is God's grace that we are saved. And it's not something that we earn but it is by God's grace and it's to use and it's God's grace that he'll even use us for his glory it's amazing that I'm preaching today it's amazing because I should not be allowed to I should be unworthy to preach today because of the sin of my past but I've been forgiven and I've been made clean and he continues to grow me and shape me in his word and so I urge you if you do not know Christ if you're living in sin turn away from it Repent and believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus because he will save you. Not, not using your strength, but really using your weakness. So we continue on. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God shows his love to us by calling us out of our own sin and into his loving arms. And we are called saints. I know that going through Bible college and stuff, it, it's difficult because I, I, when I know the word more, and I know very little, I will tell you, I'm sure most of you in here have been in the word a lot more than I have throughout your years and have just been under great teaching with Todd. Um, but the more I know the word of God, the more I know the holiness of God, and that in turn shows me how wicked my sin is. And so it's very hard to hear this term saints 
because I'm like, whoa, I can't be a saint. Like, but ultimately, we are saints because of Christ and what he's done. And so do not be ashamed of that name, but ultimately, bury yourself in the word of God and allow yourself to realize that you wear, you wear the righteousness of Christ. We are able to have peace because we have grace. If it wasn't for God's grace, we would be stuck in our sins without hope. But from the beginning, even after Adam and Eve disobeyed, he was gracious and made a covenant with them. Then we, can, then we can see all the way up to Jesus coming to this earth that God has always fulfilled his promise. In fact, there was many times when um, Abraham would have to remind God of his covenant, not because God forgot, but ultimately so Abraham could see that he needs to hold on to the promises of God to know that he will show grace to the wicked and to those who will turn away. Um, and we continue to see this today, that God shows grace to you. If you are sinning and living in sin, living against God today, and you're alive, that's God's grace to you. Ultimately, we all deserve damnation and going, just, just being in hell for eternity. So us just being able to have a heartbeat today is grace. If you ever want to just know that, just when you're laying in bed or just sitting down, you have some time, just think about yourself breathing and think about your heart pumping. And just think about that. And think about what would happen if that stopped. Like, it's grace that that's happening. You're not able to control your heartbeat. It's just, it's just pumping, and God has given you grace to live for today. So how can we apply this? How can we apply this greeting that Paul has given to the Roman church? Well, first off, our identity is important. We must remind ourselves as Christians that our identity is in Christ. When you go and you share the gospel or when you go through your day-to-day thing, there's going to be trials. There's going to be temptations that are going to come. And the only thing that will keep you from sin and the only thing that will keep you away from distress and fear or just discouragement is knowing that your identity is in Christ. That's the most important thing. And that should be the fuel for your fire. If it's anything else, then it's wrong. It will burn out quickly. But if you know that your identity is in Christ and that you go with authority because of God's word, then you're going to be able to proclaim the gospel. Second, we must know our faith has a firm foundation. It's in Christ. In Hebrews 12:2, Christ is called the founder and perfecter of our faith. That should give us just amazing like feelings inside to know that God, Christ, Jesus Christ, the one who died and gave us his righteousness, doesn't leave us when we're saved. He gives us the Holy Spirit and he perfects our faith. He grows us in the faith. Number, uh, number three, our salvation, again, is not based on our works. It is given by grace through faith in Christ. Um, and our mission is to glorify God and make his name known to all the nations. Uh, and continue in obedience of faith, knowing that it is God who works in us to will and to do his works as he's created for us. And I think what's a wonderful thing is I've heard the, the ending of Romans many times. Um, it's a doxology. It's a praise of, of the truths of God. If you'd like to turn there, it's Romans sixteen twenty five through 27. This will end our sermon for today. But 
these are the bookends of Romans. And, and both of them share the same truths. So if you read uh, 25 to 27 of Romans 16, it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forever more through Jesus Christ. Amen. You can bow your heads. Dear God, I pray that we can learn from Paul's example of a man that um, has a past of sin but ultimately has a future of redemption because of Christ's blood and Christ's grace on him. I pray that we can see as Christians that our identity is in Christ and that it is no longer um, us who have to work for the, the acceptance of God, but ultimately we're trusting in the works of Christ. I pray for those who may be here today that do not trust in the works of Christ try to trust in their own works or maybe those that feel like they've sinned too much and that it's, it's over and it's, it's, it's just pointless um, to even try um, that they will both rely on the grace and the mercy and the righteousness of Christ for their salvation I, I thank you for this church and, and, and just seeing their heart to go and share the gospel I pray that it, it keeps burning in them that they want to go out and reach the lost with a beautiful gospel that is in your word. Um, I just thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning, and I pray that um, your words are, are heard and not my own. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.